If you have a Bible this morning, I hope you do, turn briefly to John chapter 15 and verse 19. I want to use that as a starting point in continuing on the subject of enemies of Christian love. Enemies of Christian love. Now, in verse 19, Jesus said, If you were of the world, the world would essentially love you. It would love its own. But he said, But because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. I just want to point out the contrast that Jesus makes between the effect of the world and the effect of God upon your life. If you love the Lord, if you love God, and you display that love by how you live, the world will hate you. The world will despise your methods, your beliefs, your convictions. It wants nothing to do with you except to chastise you with jokes and stories and all of that about foolish Christians. But if you're of the world, Though you call yourself a Christian, if you continue to do things the way everybody else does, then nobody else will be on your case and you'll be acceptable. They don't really care what you believe. But Jesus himself made the distinction. He said, you cannot serve the world and you cannot serve God. You'll come to a crossroads in your life. You're going to have to make a distinction between what is of God and what is of the world. And once you make that distinction, you're going to have to make a decision. You've got to make a choice because we live by choices, all of us. How many thousand times have I said you are today, whatever you're doing, wherever you are right now, this morning, it's because of choices you have made. Bad information equals bad choices. Good information equals good choices. It just depends on your choice. You've heard good, you've heard bad, what are you going to do with it? Because there is a real devil in this world. There are real forces of evil. They really do have a design of destruction upon your life. As Jesus said, the devil comes to kill and to steal and destroy. The domain of this spirit, this devil, is the world. This is where he rules in whomsoever he can. This is where he does his work. This is also where God has chosen to save you. And he did not take you out of this world, but he left you in this world because it is possible to live right in this world and make right choices. You pay for it. You'll be hated and despised. You may lose a job. You may lose a lot of things. You're not exempt from suffering and tribulation and hardship because of your choice to live Christ-like life but you have God on your side. Now, in order to know what the enemies of Christian love are, you have to define Christian love. One of the problems I have with Christianity today and messages and preachers, not all of them, of course, is that a lot of people preach about things or people talk about things for which they have no definition. They have not defined what they mean or what they're talking about. And it's hard to have a sensible discussion or difference of opinion if you really don't know what you're talking about. 
you need a definition. That's been a part of my life for years. I remember years ago hearing a man talking about marriage, a, a teaching on marriage, and he said, now I must begin this series by defining marriage because a lot of people have different opinions about marriage. And while you're talking about this, they're thinking about that because you're not on the same page with exactly what you mean by what you're talking about. I remember that point, I thought, you know, that is so true that everything we talk about, every discussion, every subject we study, we need to define it. You need to know what you're talking about. If you're talking about theology, you know, theos, God, ology, study of, if you're going to make it's a study of God, who is God, and then you go into that. Anytime you spend that kind of time learning what you believe, identifying what you believe, so that you know what you're standing on and you're sure and steadfast, you're doing a good thing. Because so many people live by concepts. They have a concept of God. They have an idea of God. They have an idea of Christianity. They don't know anything definite. Nothing is defined. They just have these concepts, these gray areas of things. And well, I don't know, but I'll tell you what I believe. Well, I don't know about all that stuff, but I'll tell you one thing I believe. And it's just ideas that are formed in the minds of man. They have no definitions. Young people today have no definition of the word sin. If you define sin, you open up a door for guilt and conviction, which opens up the door for repentance. But if you don't know what sin is, you'll never turn away from it because you're not sure what it is. It's just like what would happen in Hollywood if you defined with a dictionary the word whore? What would happen to all of these sophisticated so-called people? A whoremonger, the men. Because so much of Hollywood is all about sex. And what if you define in the context of what you're saying, you are showing what those two words mean? You are exhibiting it yourself. Thus, you are guilty. Now, definitions bring anger. Definitions upset people. Are you saying, I'm saying, I'm only saying what this means. How it is formed in your mind, having heard what I said, is what's making you all upset and red in the face and hot and angry. All it takes is the truth of God about any subject to open up a door for conviction. And if you've never convicted about things, you'll never repent of it. If a door into your life isn't open to guilt, that you're wrong. Because guilt is defined as a condition that means you deserve punishment. You're wrong. You're guilty. And if you never know what that is, and if you never know in your life the things that are right and wrong, you never get saved. You never repent of your sins because, well, you know, your way is no better than mine. Well, I'm as good as they are. Well, if they're going to heaven, I'm going to. I do as good as they do. But you don't know what you're talking about. So it's necessary in Christianity, especially in teaching, to explain to people what you're talking about and what you're talking about means. Now, having said that, take Christian love. How would you define it and what is it all about? Well, Christian love begins with this. It is love from God to you. It is God's love passed on unto you. And the effect it has is that it compels you to love him. Now, that's what it is. 
What did he say in 1 John 2? He said, we love him because what? Because he first loved us. We didn't know before we were Christians, we didn't know how to love God because our definition of love was more of feelings, emotions. I cry before the Lord, or I just had this warm feeling, and oh, but, but our life was still the same old ragtag sinful self. But we had feelings about God, therefore we love God. And to tell anybody that you really don't love God unless, and then explain that, they get mad. Oh, they do. Christians really get upset with that because you're identifying them as being less than what they should be. So, love from God to you that compels you to love Him is the beginning of Christian love. Now, to love Him secondly means that you commit yourself to Him. It's a choice. You commit yourself to God. He bought you. You're his purchased possession. God has every right to expect you to do what he said. He has every right to command you to do that. If I commit myself to God, it means I consciously agree to surrender my will and my life to God, to live on his terms to do what he wants, and to serve him. Now, the only way I can do that is to find out what he says. Isn't that right? Again, if without the Bible, all we have is concepts and ideas and opinions. But with the Bible, we have God's word. Now, in this word, Jesus said, John chapter 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loves me. If he is loved by me, he will be loved by my Father. We will manifest ourselves to him, he said in verse 23. So he simply said, if you love God, you will keep, obey his word. You will do what he said. That's how you love. Would my wife know when I married her and I took marriage vows, and all of you that have been married took a vow, you agreed to something, didn't you? Scott, you've been married 24 years. Did you agree to live in a certain way with that woman? Did you agree to reciprocate, to live a certain way with him? Did you do it before witnesses? Did you do it consciously or was there a gun to your back? You did it because you wanted to. You did it with your eyes open. You did it having been taught and told that if you want to marry a woman, these are the terms that God holds you to as a husband. She is not just somebody you sleep with, fixes your food and cleans your clothes, and somebody you can argue with. She is your companion. She is a gift from the Lord. Somebody that God sovereignly brought into your life to make you more what he wants out of you. She's a helpmeet. And so those are the terms. They were spelled out. If a man loves his wife, what does he do? Well, he keeps his word, doesn't he? 
And the only reason you do that is because, first of all, God has shown you to do that. You love your wife because you love God. You love your husband because you love God. You work hard every day. You work your eight-hour day with honest effort because you love God, because God compels you to do that. You don't cheat, and you don't lie, and you don't steal because you love God. God tells you not to do that, so you don't do that, no matter how convenient it might be. Your love for God begins to affect everything. In fact, it does affect everything in your life. How you live, how you act, how you think, your attitude. You come to the place where when you love God, we have no more church problems. No more arguing, no more disagreements, no more fighting, fussing, no more splitting, because we love God. And the love of God compels us to love others. Doesn't it? Jesus said, if you love others, you love others even as you love yourself in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 12. Therefore, if I don't want you fighting me, I'm not going to fight you. Love compels it. But if you don't love the Lord, but you have an idea of love as just one or two areas, and you do your thing the rest of the time, you don't love the Lord. You don't. You love yourself. You love how you feel about things. You love your opinion. You love your success. You love what you're done. And don't mess with it, Jack, or whatever your name might be today, because you love yourself. God doesn't control all these areas. His love has come to you, but you resist his control in all areas of your life. And you let him do some things, but you love yourself, and you're not going to give that up. In essence, you don't love the Lord. So you see, the definition makes that clear. Because the third thing I could say about it, it, would you look at this one in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5. Christian love includes this, and this is the effect that Christian love has on you as you live a Christian life. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily or truly is the love of God perfected. No, wait a minute, no, wait a minute. Now, are we over our heads here? Has God said something here that is out of the range of man? Huh? He said, if we keep his word, that's a decision I have to make. If I love God, I will. I mean, my life will be a picture of his word, if I love him. He said, whoso keepeth his word in him verily is the love of God perfected, reaches its goal, brings to completion his plan. This is what love does. Love perfects you. Love brings you out of zero up to the front. Love is what will cleanse you. Remember we used to sing the song, Love Lifted Me? Some of you did. I was sinking deep in sin out of the crystal sea, very deeply stained within, seeking to rise no more than the master of the sea. It was God who did this. He lifted an unloving soul out of an unloving world and placed this soul before him, knowing what he's getting and how corrupt and polluted you really are all through. 
And God, because he loves you, begins to open your eyes. He begins to show you truth. He doesn't just preach every Sunday on how to get saved because he cares about instruction. God really does care about you getting taught. Read Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go because you don't know how to go unless God opens your eyes. If you're satisfied with what you got, nobody's teaching you and nobody's going to teach you because you got what you want. And what you got's good as anybody. We're living in a world I am where I see this all the time. I don't want any more. What I got all this teaching, man, we got enough teaching. How many times you heard that? We've been overtaught. We've got too much teaching. We need to, when have we ever been taught so much that we've mastered it all? We've got it all down pat. We don't need to be taught anymore. We just need to be preached at on Sunday on how good we are and how glorious it's going to end. It is going to be glorious. But Christian love are those three things. It's the love from God that compels you. It's the love of God that causes you to obey his word. And it's a love that is working in you to perfect you. That's what Christian love is. Now, enemies, as I started out saying, enemies of Christian love is whatever in your life that is able to come in and suppress that. I said a while ago, you know, you may not want to surrender all of your life to God. It may be something in your life you don't want to give up. Maybe a way you're doing your business and it's not exactly right, and you know it's not right, but you, man, you can't make the money if you do it any other way. You don't want to give it up. You hold it back. How many times do people come to church, a noisy church? You folks are somewhat noisy on Sundays. Make a lot of racket, raise your hands like you don't have pockets. And you sing loud and everybody's smiling, looking around, you're so happy. And, and you're thinking, now, why are they doing that? They don't need to do that. What is the cause of what you just said? Where did it come from? It's obviously exuberance in worship is an expression of how you love the Lord. Now, if somebody says, well, I think that's just a bunch of show in the flesh. Where did that come from? Why does this offend you? Why are you so bothered about the expression of people worshiping God? It didn't bother you at the political campaign when they were dancing. Oh, they had their hands up. In fact, they couldn't ride in a car without their hands up. They couldn't stand on a stage while they applauded for 15 minutes. And they had their hands up till their arms were tired. And we thought that was great. You come to church and raise your hands and think, oh, what are they doing that for in here? Who taught us that? Who told us that was wrong? Could it be a religious system that was so infused with the world and its attitudes that it has suppressed the truth? Are we backwards spiritually because of the ingraining effect of the world on us? Is that why we have so many conflicts with each other? We fight and devour and we have opinions and we pick and criticize and fuss at. Is it because of the world? Well, of course it is, because that's how we do it out there. 
It never occurs to us that all of that, any degree of it in the church, is sin. It's evidence of the fact that God does not have control of your life. You won't give it to him. You won't. What's that word that we don't like? Crucify the flesh. That's it. Crucify the flesh. We like the flesh. It's the expression of me. It's what identifies me and makes me needed. I don't want to crucify that. Man, a body as shapely as mine. If you're not showing this, whew, if you're not showing that off, what, are you going to just waste it? You're going to put a sack over it and waste it? I know what the devil says. Flaunt it, darling. After all, not everybody's got that. Woo! Where do you think that came from? You think that came from God? You think the Lord has taught us to do that, to flaunt it? Well, then where did it come from? Who taught us that? Why are we so offended? I'm talking we as Christian people. Why are we so offended at the truth? Are we so deeply settled and ingrained by the spirit of this age into the ways of the world which are sacred that we don't want any outside influence, including God, to change us. We're all alike. We're peaceful. Nobody is out of bounds here. We all go to the same grocery store, the same doctor, the same aspirin, the same insurance company. We're all doing everything the same. Nobody's out of bounds here. And then one day God and his light comes shining in and you begin to see there is a better way there is a heavenly way that God Almighty wants you to live in this world. And the world says, if you try to do that here, you're going to lose because we'll hate you. We'll cause a lot of trouble in this world if you try to do that. You turn away from the world and its methods and its ways and its attitudes and its structure. You start living the way you know that you should. You won't be popular anymore. No, no, you won't get set at the head table at the fair this year. No, you'll be talked about and ousted because your life then begins to expose other people's sins and people don't like that guilt. You're living in a world that tries its very best to get rid of guilt. I'll tell you this, the only thing, the only thing the Ten Commandments bring, because everybody wants to get rid of them, but the only thing the Ten Commandments brings to the table is guilt. That's all they bring. Because the Ten Commandments declares the holiness that God wants in his people. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Who hasn't? I never have. You ever thought it? You ever looked upon a woman to lust after her? Well, then you have. Not steal. Not lie not bear false witness, not covet your neighbor, honor your parents. You ever dishonored your parents? Any of you good old boys ever dishonor your parents? Only by the grace of God, we didn't tear our pants off climbing out the window at night. <laughs> well, I'll just give you a break. 
or vice versa. We've broken every one of them. The spirit, listen to me, the spirit that's behind this world that wants to eliminate God knows if you stick that stuff on the wall, even a casual look at those things every now and then is going to bring guilt because you've broken every one of them, every single one of them. And there's no provisions in the Ten Commandments for forgiveness. They're just a declaration of what is right. And you look at that and you say, well, I've broken all of them. How do I undo it? Well, by the Ten Commandments, you can't. It's only by Jesus Christ. So no wonder they want to get that out of the school. No wonder they want religious anything. They don't want prayer anymore at school or prayer at graduation services. It's okay for the president to be in a prayer breakfast. No, put in God we trust on a coin. We want that out. Just eliminate God so we can eliminate definitions, so we can eliminate meanings, so we can do our own thing. And as the end of, what is it, Judges, says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But back to the question, why are we so offended at truth? Why is it if you talk about holidays, people get disgusted? How about Christmas? Can we teach on Christmas? Well, Christmas is a Christian holy day. No, 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 no. There are no holy days in the New Testament. There are not, not even Sunday. It's the Lord's day, but it's not the only day you can worship. We're under no rules anymore. It's follow Jesus. So there are no holy days and all the things about Christmas, the commercialism and the Santa Claus and the Yule Law, but I feel so good at that time. I just love chestnuts roasting. I like to sing. We go caroling to some needy person and they come out and they cry and, and, and we just make people feel good. What is wrong with that? Well, in the context of a Christian holiday, what's right with it? So instead of yelling at you this morning, we just say, so what's right about it? Show me in the Bible where they do that. We're Christians, aren't we? Jesus said, if a man loves me, he keeps this. So what does this say about it? I want to do the Christmas thing God's way. So let me see it. Come on. Come on, I want to see it. Well, you won't find it. Where did it come from? Came a long time ago. Constantine. When did all this form and format come into the church and all the traditions and rituals and the clothing that exemplifies something? When did all of that happen? When did the church become such a formal outfit? From upper rooms in the New Testament to cathedrals of fancy ornaments, where did that come from? Who brought that in and who gave meaning to all these symbols hanging on the wall that people now worship that stuff and pray to those little statues? Where did it come from? Now, if somebody prayed to one of those statues yesterday, you just got mad. I cannot believe I'm kind of sitting in this room hearing this uneducated babbler talk about my statues. I mean, talk about my prayer life. What offends you? It's not in the Bible. Why are you so offended? Why is it that when somebody teaches on the subject, you don't want to hear it? Why? 
I can tell you why. It's the world. You are a worldly person. You won't admit it because that would bring guilt necessitating repentance. We love what we don't want to do. We love being what we are. Why are people so upset with politics? You know what politics do when churches get involved in politics? It divides us. We argue with each other over which one of these unsaved candidates is the best. We do. Which one of them tells the truth most of the time? <laughs> which one of them lies the least? What party is less deceitful than the other one? So you begin to teach on it that the church has never in its historical beginnings and throughout early church history, never was involved in politics. Our work is the kingdom of God, not political offices. And yet people get so upset when you talk about, we don't vote, we don't hold parties. You don't? No. <clears throat> no. Well, why don't you? Because that's not in the book. We're not here to run the systems of this world. Every government in the world, there is no holy government. All governments are corrupt. All governments are corrupt. The only right government that will ever be reestablished on this earth would be a theocracy under Christ and his kingdom. We won't need lawyers anymore because he knows the minds and the hearts. Why do people get upset? Why are you in political office? Why are you doing this? Or why are you, in a, why are you running for something? That's not what we're here to do. We're not here to make the world a better place to live. We can't make the world a better place to live. We're not here to change the world. I hear it all the time. God's people are going to mount up. They get talking real fast and real loud, and people just go haywire. Haywire for the other folks. They get to talking fast how the church is going to rise up and the power of God is going to begin to go and we're going to go and we're going to take the world for God. And everybody just yells and throws their Bible in there and takes off running. But it's not in the Bible. The world lieth in wickedness. And it's getting darker. And Jesus said it would get darker when no man can work. He said, do what you can while there's light. Why you got this? Because the day is coming There'll be a famine in the land, not of bread and water, but of the word of God. And no man will know what to do anymore. He had a chance, but he gave it up because he didn't want to change because he's a worldly person. We don't want to give up the ideas of permanency of marriage. And you could talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage and, and all the errors and the flaws in that and why it happens in the first place and, and what a vow meant and how you you start talking. It's a big subject. And the more you talk about divorce and, and remarriage, the more people get all offended. I say, why? Why do you not want to know the truth? There is only one thing God has ever said that he will use to make us free. It's the truth. He said, you shall know the truth. 
Not avoid the truth, not be disgusted with the truth and I wish I hadn't, why is it had to, not like that. Truth is supposed to bring conviction. Conviction leads to repentance and then it brings you into the company of God. But if you reject the truth because of the influence of the world, you just fuss and blow and you start running at mouth. Running at mouth. Ah, you try what I think. Well, and you run to other churches and run it some more. Then you hear the rumors. Well, you know what that church? I don't care what they say. I've been criticized by experts, let alone common folks. You know what? If you know you're right, you just walk with him. Who was for Jesus? When he went to the cross, where was all of his followers? I don't want to be a, with him because, well, these people don't like him, and if I get involved with him, they won't like me either. What's happening to him could happen to me. It's the world. It's the influence of the world, the dread and the fear and all of that stuff of the world. You know, I don't want to do... We talk about debt. Stay out of debt. Leave debt alone. Let me tell you something, there's folks today that wish they had it. Now, I said that 10 years ago, and folks, oh, I can't believe you said it. Now it's true. It's just true. Debt and greed and investments, and one man lost $2 million with the Ponzi scheme, and a man milked, what, $3 billion out of people that are just greedy? Warn the people. Tell those people sitting in church before it ever happened. Folks, that's not how we live. We don't live on investments. That's not how it works. God's way is not that way. And they are really angry with you if what I said is true, not just an opinion. Because they say, man, you're telling me that I can't do what I do no more. I'm just telling you what the Bible said. You do whatever you want to. You live by choices. I can't live your choices for you. All the Word of God has done is expose you, open you up to make right choices. You think God would allow you to make wrong choices? I'm going to teach on that someday, what God allowing things, what God allows and doesn't allow. If my child was 16 years old and I gave him the keys to my car to go to town on a Saturday night, and I said, now, Remember who you are, manage yourself well, avoid trouble, come home at a certain hour. What if they go out and get drunk? Did I allow that? I didn't allow that. I didn't say now when you go out tonight, buy good stuff if you're going to drink it. <laughs> Don't buy that mad dog, but get you something really good. I just said, no, I, you're not allowed to do that. Can they do it? Did I allow them to do that? No. There's a lot of things, folks, God just said, simply said, this is the way walk ye in it. Now, it's your turn to demonstrate to God where your heart is, how much you really appreciate Him, your family name, what you're supposed to stand for, you say you do. Now, what I allow you to do is to prove yourself. If you don't prove yourself, don't blame me because you can't blame God with your sins. God gives you opportunities to do right. If you do wrong, you just showed God the kind of heart you have. Are you young people listening to me this morning? 
Don't be so offended at the truth. I'll give you something to be offended at in just a minute unless I don't get done. Truth hurts. It really does. What if I told you today, now my kids played sports, they did that. Now what if I told you after all these years and looking back at, at those years, I see no value in it. That the people whose kids didn't get to do that have missed nothing. Even people who played sports, like I heard Paul say the other day, said, you know, there wasn't anything to that. Now here your kids are busy in sports and soccer or whatever, they're baseball, football, and now you're offended. Well, he shouldn't have said that, he just, no, I'm just saying from my experience, I see no redeeming value in it. Well, it gave parents a chance to bond with their kids. It probably did. You could have probably played Monopoly at home at night if you turned the TV off and done a little bonding that way. That's dumb. Of course it's dumb. It's family. Of course it's dumb. I'm just saying, folks, that there's a lot of things about sports that introduces a heavy dose of the world into your family, your routines, and your children, and you. You can do what you want to with it. I'm just saying that as I look back, I didn't know the effect before. I look back now, and I can see the effect. Now, somebody else said, well, it didn't work that way with us. That's between you and God. It's just my view of it all. You make it my opinion. But if you came up with the word, and you said things like, come out from among them and be separate, Come out from whom? And what does separate mean? Keep studying and you're going to go, like that. Or you're going to say, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I want to plead ignorance when I get to heaven. It won't work like that. I'm just saying there's a lot of things that we teach on that Christians get angry over. They get upset over. They don't want to come back to church over. Or they don't like you because you taught on that. Or they don't want to have anything to do with you because your reputation is you're so narrow that they say you can look through a keyhole with both eyes open. And that, you know, your church is just isolated from the world and you all just cut yourself off from everything. And, and who says stuff like that? Who says you're setting yourself up for a big fall going to a religious institution that cuts you off from the world and doesn't involve itself in ecumenical things and social matters and it's not out protesting, carrying signs or have fun raising drives? Who said that we had to do that? Our purpose in this world is to make disciples, followers of Jesus. My job, I love what I do because I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not trying to find out. I know what I'm supposed to do. And the more you look around, the more you have things to say, what you ought to do. You won't go to heaven if you stay without any information from God. You won't make it. You got to make your calling and election sure. There's this constant need for conviction. There's this constant need to assemble ourselves together and to hear what the Lord says. All I do is talk. I pray before I got out here that God would take my words and place them into your heart the way he wants you to hear it. Or if I said, blah, 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 he'll make you hear something you need to know. That's called the anointing. Oh, blah, 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 that's not anointing. <laughs> Listen, the effect of God at bringing truth to your attention and to your heart is called the anointing. That's what does. Now, what you do in response to that 
will determine whether or not God will judge you or God will accept you. Because you live by choices. We all have a will. But the thing that causes us to get turned off and bothered and tore up is the world. When you are offended this morning at a statement made, if it's true, passages in the Bible, tongues, for example, speaking in tongues, oh, hey, I don't like to hear about that. Then you are a person of the world. You have no appetite for truth. You like what you got and you don't want God to meddle with your life. Turn to 1 John 5. You're back there close, aren't you? 1 John chapter 5. Let's look at verse 1 and read down through verse 5. Why do people in a community say something like this? That's the church that doesn't believe in doctors. Have you ever heard that? That's the church that doesn't believe in doctors. We believe in doctors. I believe in doctors. I do. I believe in doctors. I believe they exist. I believe there's a lot of them. I also know that for 40-some years, we've been well and healthy and whole. And I was the sickest one among you before all of this changed. So I know that there are other things out there for people who can't believe it, and I'm glad they're out there. But God has a better way. Don't get mad at that. Think about it. Oh, but they talk about us. Well, what do you expect the world? Jesus said they're going to hate you. This is a form of hatred. It's ill will toward in the form of verbal slander and gossip. It is designed to attack and to hurt you. The Bible calls that hate. What do you expect them to do? Your lifestyle is exposing something in them that they know they should do. But there's this dread and fear of not being well. Look at the health care controversy. This world is afraid of dying. And they should be. They should be afraid of dying because if you don't live for Christ, when you die, you die now and you open your eyes in the next life, one way or the other, one place or the other. They don't know that Jesus heals. The preacher on the radio this morning mentioned a condition in somebody's body, a fatal condition, as though it was some horrible, worldly God that nobody could conquer. And I'm laying there thinking, we have something in us that's greater than that. But your people don't know that, and so they dread the world. They dread its ways, so they incorporate its ways. They hope the medicines work. They hope the conditions don't come around. They hope stuff goes in. They hope, they hope, they hope because they can't know. And when you teach the truth about it, the devil with a vengeance attack said, he wants the people sick. He wants you to think sick and he wants you to be sick. And the Redeemer, as far as I know, he bore our pains and carried our diseases, Matthew 8, 17, and by his stripes, we're healed. What do you do with that? Well, I don't know about that, but I'll tell you one thing. No, 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 I don't want to know something else. Well, on the one hand, he said, on the other hand, we'll cut one of them off. If God be true, let him be true. Quit looking at the world in two ways. Let your eye be single, Jesus said. Look at it his way. Quit giving yourself the options. If the Bible is true, accept it as true. God loves you enough to show you that he alone is truth. 
and true. Quit looking for options. All these options are the things the world leans upon you heavy with to make you afraid. And when you're afraid, you're not in faith. And when you're afraid, you're looking for something besides God to deliver you. It's the truth. Have you found 1 John 5, verse 1? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him, that begat him, loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you love the Son, you love the Father. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. Look at this, verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not what? Grievous. The word grievous also means burdensome, a weight. The Bible speaks of Paul's letters as being weighty. That is, they go, wow, because something of the world lodged in people's lives. Say, oh, man, no, nobody can live that way. Wow, who could ever? Uh, nobody's capable of doing that. You know what they say? Because they read his letters and they were weighty. But Jesus said, come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Take my yoke upon you, for it is a heavy burden. What did he say? Y'all remember that verse? Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart. Nothing burdensome about that, is there? In other words, listen to me. There is a way when it's God, when it is God. There is a way that he opens your eyes to see what he's saying. And it's not a burden at all. It's a release. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It is something anybody that he calls to him can do. Even you. We are able to do this. But he said, for a lot of people, apparently, his word is just burdensome. It's just heavy. But not to a saint. To a saint, his word are words of life. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words are burdensome. Sing them over again to me. Wonderful words of heaviness. <laughs> you know why they're heavy to some people? Because you've got to give up something. You've got to give up something. You've got to let go of something. If you don't, God will judge you. He's sparing you of judgment to come because he loves you. He says you can't act like this. You can't live like this. You can't talk like this. You can't hang around this, go there, buy that, wear that, and expect to please God. You can't do it. Now, I'm telling you, don't do that. I love you enough to tell you now. I'm going to give you a chance just like I gave Job. Either you change or I'll change you. Because he that started a good work in you, dear soul, he that started a good work in you is going to finish it, isn't he? And if he has to wear you out, he will wear you out until you finally say, yes, Lord. You give up all your passions for this world because it is the world that makes us grieve at the commandments of God. 
It is the systems of man, our involvement and our love for the way the world does things. That's our hopes and our dreams and all the success. The educational system said, if you do this and set your goals high and receive your dream and, and go for it and, and do your best, and this is what the world says, and you come to Jesus Christ. Are you still in 1 John? Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. For all that is in the world... Does all mean all? We don't need to define that, do we? All's a bunch. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh. Boy, where you not see that today? The lust of the eyes. Wow, I'd love to have one of them. And the pride of life. I like to be something fancy like that. Where does it come from? Where does that kind of desire come from? At the end of that verse, somebody help me. It comes from the world, doesn't it? Doesn't come from God, it comes from the world. You knew that. So then, if we are enticed to lust after the world, to live for something, to get it, to make the sacrifice, to be a workaholic, we got to do it, that's our dream. Where do you think it came from? Wait a minute, now didn't God say, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you? Why is that such a hard thing to see? that we don't have to run after the world and run over each other. Just seek the kingdom. God will bless you. I can testify to it, and a bunch of you can. You young people, listen, you seek the kingdom. Quit seeking some dream. Seek the kingdom. Your heavenly Father will be pleased to give you all these things the world's seeking after. Jesus said this, for your Father knoweth you have need of all these things. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He said that. Believe that. All that is in the world is not of God. It's of the devil. And it's the devil that makes you feel uncomfortable when you hear the truth. It's the effect of the world and the devil's work through the world in you that makes you disgusted at the truth that you hear. We talk about certain kinds of clothes that people like to wear today and you get all wild up about That is the devil. You just don't want to do it God's way. You won't admit it, therefore you'll never repent and you'll be judged. Because true Christians, when you hear the truth, you don't say, oh, come on. You say, you know what? That's right. I've been wrong. And you surrender to God. And another space of growth from glory to glory to glory begins to take place in your life. Boy, I'm not dumb, but I got a whole lot to say here. Will I be able to see you again? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, as we pause in this message, to take a break of one week before we come back, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would, by your Spirit, confirm these words to your people. Deliver us from the world. Help us to stay unspotted from this world. As our brother said last week, not to be entangled in this world but to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
There are many people sitting before me this morning, Lord, those here and those in the electronic world. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would bring godly conviction from on high, not from what I said, but from what you're saying to these people's hearts about what you want from us in these last days. I ask it to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? And God is good all the time. Amen. Little search and try away. Turn again to the Lord. With our hearts, with our hands, unto God in the heavens, turn again to the Lord. It is That's a good song. That's a good way to end the meeting. Amen.